and, with such deftness that the Chinese never stirred, he tied the end of the pigtail to the back of a chair, with rather startling results when Li Wing awoke with a sudden sense of being late and made a spring from the bunk. The chair, of course, followed him, and the loud yell of fear and pain raised by the victim brought half the homestead to the scene of the catastrophe. Jim was the only one who did not wait for developments. He found business at the lagoon. The queerest part of it was that Lee Wing firmly believed Hogg to be the author of his woe. Nothing moved him from this view, not even when Jim, finding how matters stood, owned up like a man. You Ali some good boy, said the pigtailed one, proffering him a succulent raw turnip. Me no. You telly fine large crummy. Hog he telly crummy too, so dly up. And Jim, finding expostulation useless, dried up accordingly and ate the turnip. To the right of the homestead at Billabong, a clump of box trees sheltered the stables that were the unspoken pride of Mr Linton's heart. Before his time, the stables had been a conglomerate mass, bark-roofed, slab-sided, falling to decay, added to as each successive owner had thought fit, with a final mixture of old and new that was neither convenient nor beautiful. Mr Linton had apologised to his horses during his first week of occupancy and, in the second, turning them out to grass with less apology, had pulled down the rickety old sheds, replacing them with a compact and handsome building of red brick, with room for half a dozen buggies, men's quarters, harness and feed rooms, many loose boxes and a loft where a ball could have been held and where, indeed, many a one was held, when all the young farmers and stockmen and shearers from far and near brought each his lass and tripped it from early night to early dawn to the strains of old Andy Ferguson's fiddle and young Dave Boone's concertina. Nora had been allowed to look on at one or two of these gatherings. She thought them the height of human bliss and was only sorry that sheer inability to dance prevented her from taking the floor with Mick Shanahan, the horsebreaker, who had paid her the compliment of asking her first. It was a great compliment too, Nora felt, seeing what a man of agility and splendid accomplishments was Mick, and that she was only nine. There was one loose box which was Nora's very own property, and without her permission no horse was ever put in it except its rightful occupant, Bob's, whose name was proudly displayed over the door in Jim's best carving. Bob's had always belonged to Nora. He had been given to her as a foal when Nora used to ride a round little black sheltie, as easy to fall off as to mount. He was a beauty even then, Nora thought, and her father had looked approvingly at the long-legged baby with his fine, well-bred head. "'You will have something worth riding when that fellow is fit to break in, my girlie,' he had said." and his prophecy had been amply fulfilled. Mick Shanahan said he'd never put a leg over a finer pony. Nora knew there never had been a finer anywhere. He was a big pony, very dark bay in colour, and as handsome as paint, and with the kindest disposition, full of life and go, but without the smallest particle of vice. It was an even question which loved the other best, Bob's or Nora. No one ever rode him except his little mistress. The pair were hard to beat, so the men said. To Nora, the stables were the heart of Billabong. The house was all very well, of course she loved it, and she loved her own little room, with its red carpet and dainty white furniture, and the two long windows that looked out over the green plain.
That was all right. So were the garden and the big orchard, especially in summertime. The only part that was not all right was the drawing room, an apartment of gloomy, seldom-used splendour that Nora hated with her whole heart. But the stables were an abiding refuge. She was never dull there. Apart from the never-failing welcome in Bob's loose box, there was the dim, fragrant loft where the sunbeams only managed to send dusty rays of light across the gloom. Here, Nora used to lie on the sweet hay and think tremendous thoughts. Here also she laid deep plans for catching rats and caught scores in traps of her own devising. Nora hated rats, but nothing could induce her to wage war against the mice. Poor little chaps, she said. They're so little and... and soft. And she was quite saddened if by chance she found a stray mouse in any of her shrewdly designed traps for the benefit of the larger game...